quite often we have uh, kind of a really special attitude towards our sitting practice of meditation. Those of us who have been doing it for a while seem to even, even if it's been a while, we kind of get caught up in the practice itself as being some kind of a special thing. So the title of this uh, particular Dharma talk is Normalizing Meditation. So the idea there is just like brushing your teeth is normal. So I am suggesting, recommending that you you work on that. Get that so that meditation practice is just a normal thing that you do. It might be odd to someone else who happens to stumble into you into seeing you sitting facing a wall for an hour or two. But it's not so important what someone else is thinking about what you do, even though we're sensitive to that. And I'm not saying to stop being sensitive. We should really be sensitive. Whatever anybody is thinking, feeling, saying, however they're acting, we should really be on receive. We should turn everything on to receive. You can practice doing that by normalizing the practice. And I'll show you how it looks. Sit down, hold still on a chair, on the floor, on a cushion, have a wall in front of you. If that's too close, sit back further. Uh, if you want to, you could even look across the room. You could look out a window, as long as whatever's happening in front of you is not moving around much. Sit down, use this mudra, this hand position, left over right, with the thumb slightly touching, not because it's so uh, special, but because it's normal. It's just, it's just a normal thing to do. On the other hand, and I have to say, on the same hand, because I'm talking about hands, putting these two hands together like this is something you rarely will do casually. You may for just a moment, and then they'll slip apart, and you will start to fiddle with your fingers or something. Twiddle your thumbs. Does anyone here twiddle their thumbs? This is twiddle their thumbs. It was very popular back in the 1930s. No, I wasn't alive then. I was told that. So, Normalize. So come, sit down, and do it the same way. Repetition, repetition, rep repeat it over and over and over again. Not only repeat, repeat your body position, but repeat the attitude. Just observe, please. I'm begging you, please observe. Okay. And when I say that, I'm saying observe the way you can observe. Observe the way you keep getting distracted and making up stuff about this or that or daydreaming. Just observe that. So whatever arises in the the mind stream, regardless of what it is, even if it's like you're sitting and you're just thinking about what some per some person did to you, someone stole your lawnmower, which wouldn't be a bad thing. Someone is gossiping about you. Someone is whatever, whatever it may be. You're sitting down, hold still, normal, just normalize. So all you're doing is receiving. If, if all you're doing is receiving, nothing much happens because there, there's not much happening here. That's the idea, you know? You're sitting down, you're holding still, and you just observe what moves. It won't be much. Breath will come and go. Uh, I don't teach follow the breath, although I did for a long time. That's the way I was trained. But uh, I don't uh, particularly recommend that. If you're having a lot of chaos, a lot of difficulty, a lot of difficulty, then you could follow something that's moving that's fairly dependable and repeats, which is, would be the breath. But if you're just coming in to sit, normal, just normally coming in to sit, maybe for the, maybe you counted the first 
uh, four or five hundred times that you meditated. I know I did. I wanted a credential. I wanted to know if I was doing enough of it, if I was getting somewhere. And of course, or maybe not of course, but really isn't anywhere to get. But you have to discover that. If you don't, if you just use that as a thought, well, you, there's nowhere to get. This is just uh, not helpful. It's not helpful to draw away from this incredible realm that is in front of you. The ultimate truth that is looking right at you. Might as well be your own eyeballs out 20 feet in front of you looking at you. It's that amazing. And it is completely normal. It is ordinary, my friends. It is ordinary. But you have to, you, your consciousness, your body, mind, spirit, soul, entity, give it any name you want. It's still going to be the same thing. You need to see that. You need to see that out of this. Not just eyes, nose, tongue, body. You need to see it out of this. Not out of this area. This. You need to see it out of here. If you do, you won't accept, reject, or look away. Yes? How does the heart center perceive? It doesn't. It doesn't need to perceive. Because it's not separate. I'm being as sincere with you as I can be. Would I mislead you? Mm-hmm. So it's a, that's why they call it a practice, because we practice dropping down into the heart. Oh, but it takes a while, because when we first sit down, there's just chatter and chatter. And then maybe three weeks, maybe we've been practicing for two months or two years. Chatter, chatter, chatter. Chatter's coming. Sometimes we might comment to our friend, to our mate, uh, to, to a Sangha member. Uh, just That was a terrible meditation. All I did was just... On and on and on, just a constant, sometimes called monkey mind. And I would say, as a meditation teacher, and in this case, of the few minutes that we're sitting here, you're a meditation teacher. When you leave, you can do whatever you want. But for right now, you give me permission, so I'm going to tell you, do not interfere with the so-called monkey mind. Don't try to tame it. Don't don't try to calm it down. Don't try to justify it or explain it or fluff it up or say it's because of that happening that I'm, my mind is like uh, the inside of a zoo. Just observe. Very ordinary. You're, you're just sitting here. You hold, you're holding this posture because it's a, a little bit unique and it's different and it's also symmetrical. Body and mind are not two different things. They just look like it. But that's uh, something to be discovered. So you sit down, hold still, sit in a symmetrical way. You could also do this if you wish. This is more uh, what you might be doing while you're uh, watching television. Symmetrical. You just observe. And when you observe, you may find yourself adding on or commenting on different things that happen. It takes a while to see the very subtle way that the mind uh, observes something and then has little tiny... It's like you put little post-it notes on things. Cannot leave them alone. We just can't stop meddling with our thoughts. Albeit very simple, I really shouldn't be thinking that. Here I go again. That's another, that's a wonderful post-it note for someone who is trying to accomplish something with their mind. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't try to do anything. Anytime you try, push, do anything, it just stirs up a a mini, like mini, what do they call those little whirling things? Whirling gigs, yes. When you say train your mind, yes. how is that different from trying to accomplish something with our mind? Good question. So 
Training to train the mind is to sit down and see how wild it is. So it's not, it's not, some of the metaphors or analogies and so on will apply to some extent, but the fundamental training that needs to happen in the mind as it's seen here is to uh, not fuel the confusion. If you, when we come to meditation, sit down, the training that happens, uh, happens by virtue of uh, exercising stretching the awareness, which is invisible. You can't find the awareness, you can't really stretch it, but you can sit down and reprioritize the whole mental matrix, whatever word you want to apply to this very complicated situation called body, speech, mind, the five skandhas, and so on. Sit down, hold still, and look at the complication. And by looking at it, that is the way we train the mind. We, we just observe it, we don't interfere, and if we spontaneously, out of cause and effect, out of, out of our conditioning, out of our own conditioning, we tend to start responding in some way to this or to that. And we just observe that. So I like to say it this way. Whatever is happening, if, you're, if you feel like you're being drawn into some kind of a uh, melodrama of your life, just step back. It's just, it's very, the metaphor I would use here is, it's like you're on the stage of your life and you're talking to your landlord or you're or you're, you're uh, having some kind of a, a, a conversation with, uh, with, your, with your partner or with your brother, sister, wife, husband, whatever you might say, your neighbor. And if you can, just as that's going on, without stopping it, starting it, without ramping it up, without pushing it down, just back up just slightly. Use the metaphor of a stage, as Shakespeare did, all the world's a stage. And just see if you can't get into the first row and watch the crazy thing that's happening in your life. Watch the incredible melodrama that draws us in and we, we believe it. We, and we believe it so much that we think we have to solve it, do something, fight, go to war. It's all over the news. The news is constantly trying to either get you to buy something or join a movement or join a club or uh, Facebook is wild and crazy in that way. And it's quite often about getting power control over people, yes. Is seeing how untrained our mind is an accomplishment? Um, if if you go to the like acknowledging that as an accomplishment, uh, this is a delusion, and it is delusion because you actually separated from what was actually happening by naming it, by giving it a, a certificate. I have finally trained my mind. So this uh, feeds into the very subtle um, situation that we call, in, in our tradition, we call the seventh consciousness or the, the glacial mind, the ego mind, that, that area that's paranoid and wants to get ahead and, and is worried about something, taking it over, getting control of us. So training our mind is to, what you do is you actually see how the mind works. Your training is involved in seeing very, very clearly, so you eventually can see the fundamental truth, which is everything is dependently arisen. This is one of the first things that the Buddha said, as far as we know, in uh, 2,500 years ago, that everything is dependently arisen. It's an amazing, simple statement. Everything, anything you can call something, anything that has a name, is dependent on all the other things. I, I, I must have said this maybe thousands of times by now. Have you been counting? No. But it's a simple thing. I'm just repeating the Buddha's teaching. 
that, that's a it's a great concept to think about, reflect on, look at, but realizing that is there, there's no way this self-centeredness can continue to operate. And if it does continue to operate, it's seen to be unreal by virtue of the fact that it is not a, a it does not have an independent identity, or uh, the Sanskrit word is svabhava, svabhava. It's hard to say that svabhava. Ni, ni, ni is a, a romanization of that. Ni svabhava, no self, no self in the skandhas. The skandhas are form, feeling, perception, concept, consciousness, or memory and consciousness. There, there's, there's form, there's feeling, there's perception, there's naming or concept or thinking processes, and, and the memory that shows up operates in that way. And then there's the six sense, six sense fields and the objects that arise there, sounds, sights, smells, tastes, thoughts. You can't find yourself anywhere, but that, when that all gets together and operates together, it's called, uh, and when those all gets, get together, and when those, when the five skandhas enter the six realms of the, of the human realm, the jealous god realm, the god realm, the hungry ghost realm, the animal realm, and the hell realm, it's called a human being or a living being. And those, and those get in there and operate in that area getting ahead, falling behind, going to hell, going to heaven. And they're just states of mind. They're states of consciousness. And so what we do to train our mind is we train our mind to, to not be sucked into that. And how do we do that? We see that, that any, anything that occurs out in front of us in our life, uh, instead of, you could say it this way, instead of just holding our seat and watching what happens, it becomes political. We, we want to vote for it. We want to vote against it. We want to, or we want to ignore it. Oh, it's none of my business. I'm not going there. So we comment on it. And it's not to say that you should do something or not do something or ignore something. It's, it's always about awareness. It's about be, being aware of what happens, being aware that something happens and we, we comment on it. A little subtle comment. Let me help you here. It's not about not commenting. It's not about putting an end to that. It's about being aware that you're doing it, being aware that you're doing that. This is the only way any, anything anywhere near humility is going to arise for any one of you. You have to see how crazy you are, and you have to stop trying to fix it. Stop trying to run away from it, and also don't take it as a credential. I'm so humble. <laughs> Doesn't sound very good. But it's kind of funny in that we... What's funny about that is because we kind of do that. Or if we don't do it, then we might see somebody next to us is doing that. Probably much funnier that way. Questions, please. Uh, Jim Johnson up in Muskegon, and he has uh, three people, including himself, watching tonight. Wonderful. He asks, you've talked before about the spiritual path and the mundane path. How are those paths both separate and not separate? So the spiritual path is seeing what is fundamentally true, what is what is is not uh, uh, what is true without any kind of uh, uh, antagonism. It's just true, and it's so true that you you don't even use that word anymore. You don't even use the word ultimate. We use the word ultimate because we're stuck in relative truth on the mundane path, and we're trying to see what is what is really valuable. You know, I have a, have a degree in uh, this, that, or the other, and I'm working on this job, and I'm, uh, maybe I'm a nurse, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a uh, work in the sanitation uh, service, or 
anything, whatever you're doing, a mundane kind of thing needs to happen. We need to support ourselves. But then we, we also can endeavor to see what is fundamentally true. Because if you were going to, you could say that you're going to live forever. Why do anything? Why not just get wiser and wiser and wiser and have a long beard? Well, you're a guy. If you were a girl, you'd have, what do they call that, long hair? Yeah. It's not funny. So you're making fun of me? I don't mind. So the mundane path and the spiritual path, when one walks the spiritual path, they're, they're no longer separate. They look separate from the point of view of the mundane path. It looks like some other thing we have to do, some added on thing. This is what I'm saying when I say normalize meditation, make meditation just the training the mind, just part of brushing your teeth and taking a shower, washing dishes and all of those mundane, very ordinary things. Those situations are, are the, those, those are, are in an area where things are very obviously separated. You have your hands and the space between your hands. You have relative truth is right in front of you all the time. And ultimate truth is not separate from that. But we tend to, the world tends to, be materialistic about it. We gotta get ahead, we gotta make money. Don't do that, you gotta have a job. What are you gonna do with your education? I like people have asked me, what, what are you gonna do with a karma house you're putting in thousands and thousands of dollars worth of these bathrooms, like uh, Yume, which I hope you're watching, Yume, uh, up in Minneapolis, says, what are you going to do with it? And I, I don't know, what did I say? You were there. It's not about that. I said that? Oh, what? That isn't what I thought I said. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was that erudite. <laughs> so, and it's it's not, it's, it, it's not that you couldn't say, well, we're going to have a yoga studio and Hopefully we can get our yoga teacher to, <laughs> but if our yoga teacher wants to go to move to uh, Honduras, no, you don't go to Honduras, goes to New Mexico or someplace, then, then that's fine. There's no, there's no, the right and wrong part of it, the success and failure part of it is a complete misunderstanding of what this is all about. So to address uh, uh, Mr. Johnson's question there, they are not separate, but you have to see that until you see that the mundane path and the spiritual path uh, are not two different things. You will continue to separate them into practicing meditation, special thing you're doing, and then the everyday thing to, uh, that you're doing of brushing your teeth, or the thing that's fundamentally normalized because you've been brushing your teeth for 25, 30 years or whatever, or you know, doing anything, it's very ordinary. I'm saying normalize that. Bring, when you come into this, this is kind of a weird place if you've never been here before. Is anybody the first time they've ever been here? Okay, well, beginner's mind. You could actually come in here and see that this is totally new each time you come in. And when you do that, then, so it's not about making this like a kitchen or something. This is a, a very special place. And it seems necessary to, to do this very special, different thing than you're doing the rest of the time. And then as you go along, normalize that so that you don't think, gee, I've got to meditate. No, you don't. You don't do anything. It's not discipline. It's not about making yourself do things you don't want to do. You might want to, if you're a meditator, you might want to just stop meditating for a while. 
We have people that live here that just don't meditate for a while. And they, they talk to me about it. And then we say, yeah, don't, don't. Go do something else for a while. Based on who knows what. Uh, feeling, um, all kinds of feelings can come up around that. And so you could do that yourself. That would be normalizing that. Yes. Um, could you say something about normalizing meditation? I'm just curious about how it's such a sharp contrast to anything else we do yes. during the day that just the experience of it sets it apart. So how do we normalize that? Do a lot of it. That's why we have, as I'm always bragging about, we have, because it's important. We, we, we don't have strong forms in some ways. In the conventional way, a lot of the Soto Zen temples, monasteries are very tight with some things. And we're pretty loose with some things here. Some things were, were much different here. We don't have a strong rule about uh, speech. I feel people are silent. If they're sitting six and a half hours a day, a day, that's enough being quiet. That's enough stillness. When we get up off the cushion, then it's about Sangha. And it's not about seeing who can be the quietest. Quite often, it's been my experience in uh, a long many, many decades of being around us different sanghas where some people, because they're kind of introverts, have no trouble at all being quiet. They just don't talk. And you can kind of sense a lot of pride. They're kind of reading. It's kind of coming off, coming off from them like a, like a, what's a good analogy for that? Smoke? Um, yes? Heat. Heat. There you go. Heat. Something is coming very puffed up. Another person, because they're extrovert, I'm just using that as a, you know, we don't have to lock down on those definitions, but some people are just very inward and don't really, aren't really big on socializing and chattering all the time. And other people just need to be talking all the time and looking at everybody and what do you think about what I'm thinking? Well, what are you thinking? Well, I just told you. Well, I think it's fine. No, I mean, really, really, what do you really think about me? Well, what do you think? <laughs> So we, we tend to do that. We tend to uh, we tend to invent things around that and complicate that whole situation. So I think it's very important for us, for as a uh, meditation society, as a sangha or community, for us to air that out. And that means that the people who are quiet, they can be quiet. And then the people who can talk, want to talk a little bit, and it seems to be a very ordinary normalizing. You starting. It might not work that way at first, but after a while you find that people are uh, very, very respectful of each other in, in who needs to do what, rather than looking and seeing if somebody is, uh, sometimes uh, if you're in a situation like that, and you, you really need to talk to somebody for a minute because it's something important, it's actually functional, but the other person over here doesn't know that. And so you say, so where is toilet paper? I said toilet paper. And so it's just a functional thing. And then someone over here sees you speak, sees you talking, doesn't know what you're saying, and goes, shh functional speech, you know, and so it, the whole thing kind of just gets disrupted and people have uh, extra confusion to work with based on somebody else's projection about what you're doing. And it's just uh, makes it difficult, makes it more difficult. So normalize. Uh, we, it's a very special thing. We come in, we sit down, we hold still. But if you do it a lot, eventually it's pretty ordinary. You, you might even find yourself getting up in the morning and going to meditate without even particularly thinking ahead about, I need to meditate. You would just be doing that. That would be what would come next. Just like you don't really think, I gotta get in and brush my teeth. 
I got it. I have to, uh, I have to put my clothes on. So questions about this would help. It's kind of a, kind of a off way of talking about it, normalizing meditation, but it, but it's, it seems, it seems important. And I'm probably going to give uh, more normal, uh, normalizing talks than, than you want to come to. I got a whole group of ideas around this. We have a book called normalizing topics. Go ahead. How does sitting more help with the contrast between sitting and uh, the rest of our life? How does it look to you? You're a monk. Seems to seems to have flip flopped. Say more. It seems like life outside of meditation was very difficult, and meditation was like a little retreat. Yeah. And now it's the opposite. Now meditation's hard and life outside is easier? Yeah. yeah. It's just contrast. It doesn't mean we don't add, necessarily add on to that, that that must mean. As soon as you say in your, in your mind, if you, something comes up a certain way and has a dynamic of being uh, uh, a big contrast, please, if you can, don't add on to that. Well, this must mean that. Because what you've done is your investigation of that contrast you have a lot more work to do with that contrast before you start coming to a conclusion about it. It's just like the the, the gas attack. I don't want to get into politics, but immediately you want to judge that whole situation. And there's no way to know. There's no proof of anything. There's no complete, obvious contrast that says this is really black and that's really white. In that case, then you could you might be able to operate out of that because it comes to its own conclusion. If something needs concluding, it will conclude itself does not need your help based on open fear and on your own uh, anxiety of needing to come to a conclusion. The more you meditate, the more you'll be able to live in an open dimension of being. You'll actually be able to live for long periods of time, maybe 20 minutes, without worrying about anything. It's an interesting, interesting way to say it, because quite often we're always thinking about something. Maybe you don't have this kind of body language, unless you're a cartoon. Yeah. How does uh, normalizing meditation stretch awareness? It stretches it because there's no agenda around it. You, you've done it enough so that you just come in and sit, and you're just observing what's happening. You're just watching. Your, your mind goes this way, and you, and you daydream about a vacation you just took, and then you come back. You're no longer picking and choosing. And so the ego mind doesn't like that. It wants a calm mind. Ego wants that because it's a credential. If you've meditated much, you've talked to other people that meditate, especially people that don't meditate very much, will quite often brag about their great meditations. I mean, I'm not saying brag in a way that's uh, uh, objectionable or difficult to listen to. You might even be envious. They say, you know, I've been really, I've been meditating this way and I really, really feel good. Feeling so much better now that I'm meditating. You come to me and say that and I'll say, oh, that's too bad. You're probably not meditating. (laughs) Life is suffering, the cause of desire, the goal of cessation in the path is Shiva Samadhi and Prajna. Life is suffering, difficulty, the goal is cessation, Niroda is the Sanskrit word, or Nirvana, cessation. How do you get there? Sit in front of a wall, normalize. Yes? Should we normalize all of the forms? Yeah. And the only way you can do that is to repeat them. So we come up and we offer incense, and every time we, those of you who have done it a lot, which you have, you notice that you never can do it the same way. There's always something different. 
Uh, it might be if you think you're really getting to where you're doing it exactly the same way, that incense will break. The Buddha will look down and say, <laughs> just letting you know, things are not going to work out the way you planned. It's, it's a wonderfully, uh, uh, it's, it's refreshing. It's really, really refreshing to see life occur in that way if there's no solid self that is taking everything so damn personal. There, there isn't anyone. This whole, uh, this whole, the whole uh, expanse of war and peace and just intense problems with everything. We're not saying it isn't difficult or bad or harmful or that we couldn't come, the human beings couldn't come to an end. They could. But what you need to do, if you're listening to me, is train your mind, because this, what you're, the, what you're training is uh, uh, can't be uh, uh, can't be killed. Who you are cannot be killed. Body can be killed, sure, but who you actually are uh, cannot be destroyed because it is not created in the sense of something like that flower coming into being and passing out of being. Of course, there's no promises of anything. Maybe it's totally wrong. Does training the mind reveal beginner's mind? Eventually, yes. That's what Suzuki Roshi back in the 60s was talking about. Zen mind or heart mind and beginner's mind. It's always you never know how to meditate. You never learn how to meditate because you are always you're not you're not actually doing something that is has a gaining idea to it. I mean, it may at first you can't help but get into this uh, situation without thinking I need to train my mind or I need to I need to meditate. I need to calm down. This is too much. Life is getting too difficult. I just need to settle down. And then we discover when we start to do that is part of the practice, quite a bit of the practice, is seeing how our mind is so unsettled. That's what stretches the awareness because if you can do that without trying to fix the, the, that which is unsettled, without justifying it or explaining it, and without turning away or distracting yourself or turning to some other activity or uh, chemical or whatever it may be to get out of your life. So I say, don't miss your life. Everything is happening to you. Everything happened to you yesterday. Everything is going to happen to you tomorrow is exactly what needs to happen. It's, it's because it's dependently arisen. Nice, huh? So you can just live. Live in an open dimension where there's no demand. There's no, there's no uh, questioning why this is happening. Why, no getting lost in the plethora of comings and goings of everything. Yes. In terms of normalizing, that, that's a word that's been used in the secular world quite a bit. Uh, is there any danger in normalizing meditation to the point where it becomes uh, mundane? Well, it will, it, it will be seen to be not separate from mundane. So it's, this is why if you look at the, there's a, what's something called the oxidating pictures, which, uh, is anyone familiar with those? Uh, yeah, so... There's 10 of them, and I'm not going to go through those. Maybe I'll give a talk on them someday. I think I have it once, didn't I? A few years ago or something. Anyway, it's, a, um, it, it's just a series of, of drawings that show where someone is looking for the mind or meditating, and then they go through all kinds of uh, various aspects of the path where suddenly the, uh, the, the mind disappears and everything goes into emptiness and there's just a circle. And, uh, and then... Uh, and then something quite unexpected happens. The, the old monk that started out on the path uh, comes back into the marketplace and just shows up as just an ordinary 
mundane person, but there's no one there anymore. There's just that, not separate from anything. It's, you know, we're trying to use images and concepts to encourage people to train their minds. So we need to go into emptiness. We need to go into emptiness where they're just, we don't know who we are, what this is, what it's about. And to ego, this is quite, can be quite devastating. And it's not just thinking it's emptiness. It's actually empty. And then we realize that that very emptiness is completely full and flooded with what? Not separate. It's flooded with reality, which is not separate, which you are, you're not even a part of, because in order to be a part of something, you have to be separate from it to be a part of it. It's a concept. It's, that's why I use the expression, not separate, not two different things. Yes, sir. To me, it appears to get a normal, to normalize meditation takes discipline. Yes. Discipline takes meddling with the monkey mind. Otherwise, you can't be disciplined. A little bit. So does the meddling take place off the mat? Is that what you're kind of saying? Is when you're on the mat, don't meddle. But if you have to work on discipline or the monkey mind when you're off the mat, good question. Time to do it. Good question. I would say that it's not about getting rid of the monkey mind. It's about seeing it. And if you just see it, then any meddling that goes on, maybe, and you, you're, I think you're uh, onto something there. There's some of it that needs to happen, but it has to be done in such a way that it's just about uh, your fundamental intent, which is to train your mind, is to see clearly. It's just like if I, if you said in a, uh, if I said what, what got me on this situation other than all kinds of difficulties in my life and so on, but the fundamental things, I want to see the truth. I want to see it myself. I want to know what it is. And that was happening a long time ago, way before I got into Buddhism. Uh, at the same time, my, my monkey mind was saying, you're too vain. You're never going to do this. You're so full of yourself. You're never going to be able to see this. So it was very difficult. And it was until I met my teacher, Trung Rinpoche, whose photograph was up there because his uh, Parinirvana was recently. Uh, without without him, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to keep going. But yes, that's a uh, that would be an aspect of it. But rather than you know, I would rather say talk about the monkey mind and just watch it and see what it does. And then you might find that the there are aspects of the monkey mind or that crazy meddling kind of mind that actually does help you to get to the cushion. Everyone would be a little bit different. Some people might be hearing what I'm saying, what you're saying, and really not really know exactly what that's referring to. This, that's what a monastery is. It's kind of a solution to that. Uh, if you, if you have that kind of intention where you say, I, I don't want, I don't want to just to join a club. I want to, I want to, I don't want to do this part-time. I want to make this a strong focus of my life. So I'm going to come in and sit down and I'm going to find out who I am. I'm going to, I'm going to find out who this is. And I'm going to use this form, which is not a belief system. It's just a, a structure to help me. Uh, those of you who've been here for a while know how hard it is to sit six and a half hours by yourself uh, in your room or in your, in some other location, even if it's on a beach or something or someplace that's quite entertaining. Not easy. But in here, still not easy, but here the form is there. So we come in, we sit down. It just becomes very normal. The people who live here, it was very normal for someone to come in here without any fanfare, no congratulations. Uh, no, no, oh, it's so great that you're meditating. Probably probably not not much of a congratulation at all. So it's ordinary. You come in and you, you sit. People might come in and someone were to come in and look through the window the whole day, they probably would be astonished that you sat there and looked at the wall all day long. Got up, went, got some lunch, come back. 
that back down. Stretch your legs a few times. So well, not not for everyone. Not here to sell this to anyone. We have a few minutes. Further questions? I like questions. Really hard ones. Hard questions. Oh. <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. Um, what if you find yourself stuck about watching, watching what you're thinking, doing? Yes. Um, and you don't know if it's your monkey mind or more of a meditation sort of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can help you. Listen to what I'm saying and then reflect on it. doesn't matter. There's only one, if you're a meditator, there's only one thing that matters, and I can show you what it is. If you're holding this posture for an hour a day, two hours a day, whatever you can manage it, sit more. Come here and sit. The door is unlocked all day long. People come and go and come and go. There's no fee charged. I mean, you're going to have to kick in some money at some point. Mm-hmm. Bottle deposits or something. But really, I really mean it to everyone. I'm saying if you if you come in and hold the body still, then it might be comfortable, it might be uncomfortable, your mind might be flooded with you know, monkey business or what, or it might be just kind of flat, not much happening. But, but that's how you can experience it. The body and mind, since the body and mind are not separate, <coughs> follow me here, since the body and mind are fundamentally not separate, we sure think they are, but they're not. Just because we can drive to a Walmart, don't go there by the way, but just because we can drive to Walmart and think about driving to Sears, driving to, and think about it. You know, we, we could do two different things at the same time. That just means we're, Versatile. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, the body and mind are separate. So if you're sitting, holding very still, you're you're actually training the mind because you're you're holding very still. So what you're aware of, you might be aware of some pain in your knee or your back or whatever. Which I I'm not here to make you sit still. You stretch stretch out, stand up, do walking meditation. That's why we don't time walking meditation. We do it when you feel like getting up and walking. That's when you should do it, not when somebody up there hits the bell. So that's why we don't have a, have that. I think we do it what the, the all day. So we have a little bit of experience of doing walking meditation or kinyin together. So all you have to do is sit down, hold still, and do a lot of it, normalize it. And then whatever is showing up, it's just like you're turning yourself into a movie screen and just you know, let the projector go, let the let the... Let the camera keep shining this picture after that picture after that. And just observe, just observe, just observe. So that the, the, the observer quality and the object quality, in other words, that subject who's so-called obser- observing a, an object or a feeling or emotion, a thought or another person or a cloud going by, is seen to be uh, not separate. It's seen to be perception only. Good luck. Thank you for that question. Other questions? David? Is there a normalizing practice that uh, gets us to our heart, to dropping down to the heart? Yeah. So using that image, I say, rise up out of your gut, your gut feelings, which sometimes that's the only place you can function from is, you know, what your gut tells you. Uh, or, or your head thinking, 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 should I, should I, should I, maybe I should, I shouldn't, but I, if I do that, then this will happen, and so on and so forth. And uh, come here, uh, come, come to this point. And if you do, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel very valuable from, because it's, because our, the materialistic kind of idea doesn't apply here. Uh, you can't find anything there. 
That's why it's the heart. So it's not it's not the the blood pumping organ we're talking about. We're talking about just if you want to use the idea of a chakra or something like that, that would probably apply to some kind of energy that's here. So practice. You can you can it's like I'm sure some of you have experienced it. Sometimes you're sitting and you actually feel like you can see from something that is not really eyes. Even though your eyes are open, you're seeing in a different way. And it's not a a particularly like an accomplishment where you're going to stand up and start telling everybody. <laughs> you, know, you might. You probably, if you start levitating, you're probably going to want to brag about. It. Question. Further questions? We have a few minutes left. Yes, sir. Um, not quite certain on all of this, so you might have to walk me through it a little bit. But, sure. Um, when one receives jaka or Jukai. 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 Mm -hmm. That's committing yourself to be with all things, correct? Yeah, that's that's one of the 16 precepts is to be with all things. It's a third of the three pure precepts. Do good, don't do harm, very simply put, and be with all things. And practice, you can practice that by sitting on your uh, cushion, sitting on your butt uh, in a chair, and practice being with whatever happens. Don't object to it, don't agree with it, and don't distract yourself or look away. So, mm -hmm. yes. Is that then different than reducing the suffering in the world? Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's not a, not about I mean, the, you're not separate. We're not separate. So you are the world. Not to use a fancy old phrase from the hippies, but, you know. But you you are not separate from anything. You're not you're not separate from anything. So so work on what you can actually have some kind of purchase on something you can actually you can actually work with, which is your body. And then when you get up off the cushion, then you might function in lots of different ways. You know, you might you might be uh, you know have a couple of people who are therapists in the room. And then you go and you meet people, and you because you practice meeting yourself where you're at, which is just here. You're just here. Then when you meet other people, and you realize they're tearing themselves apart, they're so tortured, and so you're there and you're meeting them, and you're actually insofar as they're able to, they have to bring their karma, their insight has to has to meet you also. So they, if they meet you, then you know you're not really responsible for someone else. They have to be responsible, and the world has to be responsible. But we have to start somewhere. Where do we want to start? Let's start right here with this. We actually have this lifetime that we could actually dedicate it to all beings, rather than run out and run down the street and carry signs. Or and this isn't to say you wouldn't get off off the cushion. And go and do that. I have some students of mine have gone to marches and things like that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Go ahead, but sit a lot. Sit so when you're doing something like that, there's a lot of awareness, a lot of clarity is going with you. So you're not like because uh, you get into that true believer mentality. And uh, you know, if you haven't examined your own aggression, I've said this many times. If you've not really made friends with your own <laughs> pissed off feelings about this or that or whatever it may be, or all the mistreatment you may have gotten. If you haven't settled that, uh, that basic fist fight in your, usually in your gut, if you haven't settled that, and at least taken some of the energy out of that just by observing it, then that starts to hide out. And then if we go out into the world, even though we have in our head this wonderful idea of altruism and helping and saving others and, and just wanting to help and be you go out and if you run into a couple of uh, people who are who are living out of that kind of anger, 
because they they're not they're not stopping there. Is they want to express that anger because they think that's the truth, and it is not. It's just intense causes and conditions. It's like getting on a on a uh, it's like uh, getting in a Bradley fighting vehicle. You know, probably not a good idea. So, but if you're if you have trained that, then it's that kind of spark start flying around you. You can just you can just receive. Not that you're gonna. Uh, take a bullet or something, but you can at least not add to the to the aggression because you've you've actually settled some of that yourself. You've, you've made friends with yourself. Was the way my teacher Trungpa Rinpoche used to say: make friends with yourself. Kind of a simple idea. Sit down, hold still, and see how angry you are. See how see how much struggle, see how much difficulty is going on, and and don't stop it. That's the that's the the hard one. You feel that and you think, shouldn't this stop? Shouldn't I? You know, that's that's uh, the self-centeredness, wanting to have control. So it's a very subtle form of ego. And so the ultimate understanding is expressed this way. No self, no other. There's no solid being here. There's no solid being out there. Therefore, uh, all beings are already saved. It's already the case. That's how you, you live in reality. You live in enlightenment. And if you meet people that aren't there, they give you permission, you can maybe teach them if you can help them. So it sound, might sound, people who are tied up in materialism and tied up in warfare and think you have to do that, and you have to do this, and you have to do that, and they're trying to lecture you, or get you to get on there with propaganda. Um, unless you're really clear about that, you'll, you'll either feel like, geez, I really should do something, or, or I can't do that, or you'll feel like the, you, know, you might have all kinds of conflicting emotions uh, about that situation, so it makes it painful. But if you've made friends with yourself, you understand what this is, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna go to war. Any other questions? Okay, thank you so much. And I'd also like to remind everybody about the donation boxes we have in the hallway. We also accept your donations online via PayPal, or we have the ability to take your debit or credit card as well. Thank you for your support. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.